Okay, great. Um, if you've arrived since the very start of the meeting, uh, just another very warm welcome to you. Uh, if you're here for the first time, you're visiting, then uh, we do hope that you feel comfortable and able to, to stick around for a cup of tea or coffee, coffee afterwards. We'd love to have the chance to get to know you a bit better. And uh, particularly just relevant, I'll just repeat something that Tom mentioned earlier. Um, we've got this evening on, on Wednesday evening here in this room or in the cafe at 8 o'clock in the evening is what we're calling intro. It's basically an evening where we get to explain a little bit more about us as a church. You get to meet some of the other leaders of the church, bearing in mind you're seeing about a third of the church uh, today in that we have three congregations, apparently all the better looking ones. Is that right? <laughs> Says my wife. Anyway, it'd be great to see you there, good looking or otherwise. Um, would you like to turn to the book of Mark and chapter 5? And I'm going to read from verse 21 uh, through to the end of the chapter, I think. Here we go. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. And one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he had put them all out, he took the father's child and mother and the disciples who were with him, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and told them to give her something to eat. What an amazing uh, chapter. Last time we were in the book of Mark, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, um, we looked at 
what happens first of all in Mark chapter 5. Jesus goes to the other side of the lake into Gentile territory, meets a man who is really, really troubled. It becomes apparent why, because Jesus thinks, well, I'm pretty sure this man's got an evil spirit. But then, lo and behold, he's got a legion of evil spirits influencing his life. He's thoroughly in the dark, but Jesus breaks into his world, sets him free, totally changes the man's life, um, and kind of sets him on his way, um, where he's been isolated and lonely and in despair. He's now full of joy, and he's off to tell loads of people uh, what Jesus has done for him. It's, it's a chapter in Mark's Gospel where we, where we see that we see Jesus meeting people with extreme personal needs. They've got big problems, massive trouble in their life. Extreme need. That's what um, causes Jesus to go to the other side of the lake. And now when he gets back across to the more familiar side um, and a large crowd gathers, we're going to see another um, few examples. People who are absolutely desperate And only Jesus will do. Only Jesus can help. He is their last hope. Um, And we're going to see how Jesus responds to that. We're going to meet these different uh, people and look at their situations before arriving at some conclusions. But a question to consider all the way through, bearing in mind uh, the part of chapter 5 that we didn't read today, but I've just referred to, looking at the whole chapter, what is the most exciting thing. What do you think is the most amazing thing that Jesus did? Maybe you could even think about your own life, whether you've uh, been walking with Jesus for a long time or um, you're just investigating things of faith and that's why you're here. Um, Not really sure at the moment, but what's, what's the most amazing thing that's happened in your life? so far from Jesus so bear that question in mind as we go all the way through because we're going to see some more people in, uh, in need there are two amazing miracles that are going to take place the stories are interwoven so we can't separate them out we're just going to look at them as one that's probably on purpose um, and that's how it happened as well first off then we meet another desperate man his name is Jairus And he is powerful. He's a man of influence. Um, He is what's called a a synagogue ruler. If you like, he was one of the elders in a synagogue. He he may not have been the most prominent leader, but he was one of the leaders, one of the officials, highly respected, would have been known by a lot of people. That's probably why we know his name, Jairus. It was recorded because, well, everybody knew it. He was very prominent. Maybe he's even one of the teachers of the law who have previously opposed Jesus. So we've seen Jesus before teaching the synagogue in Capernaum, a stone's throw from the lake, give or take. Um, We've seen Jesus there, and we've seen the response of some of the teachers of the law uh, before now. On one occasion, uh, Jesus heals a man who's been paralyzed, and Jesus is in a house not a synagogue, but in chapter 2, verse 6, we find out now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow, Jesus, talk like that? 
He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So we see that often the, the guys in authority, the teachers of the law, the officials of the religion, they took offense at Jesus. They reacted against him. Um, and then we see that again in chapter 3, um, verse 1. It says there, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus does indeed go on to heal him, but Jesus looks around at the stubborn hearts of those who are just wanting to find fault with what Jesus is doing on the Sabbath. Could be that that's the same synagogue and some rulers are there. So this is a pretty remarkable moment. Here we have a ruler... One of the elders, a powerful and influential man in Capernaum, or in the surrounding area anyway, well known by many people, coming to Jesus because he's pretty desperate. We find that out in verse 23. It says, one of the synagogue rulers obviously came, seeing Jesus, fell at his feet, verse 23, and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. I did turn it on. Um, Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. The, the desperation he feels for his daughter has perhaps brought him to a new point of recognizing who Jesus is and I'm going to come before him. He, he humbles himself. He, he fell down at his feet and he's pleading earnestly. So he's, he's powerful. He's pretty desperate. He's doing all of this in public. Uh, and he's doing the right thing. He's approaching Jesus respectfully, up front. He's got the right expectations. Lord Jesus, I know what you've done. I've heard what you can do. So I'm asking you, come with me. Touch my daughter and she will be healed. His expectations are right. His approach is right. He's, he's a man, he's, his newfound faith is right. He's approached in the right way. He's full of respect. And sometimes it takes desperation to bring us to that point where we're going to come to Jesus and actually bow our knee before him rather than come in as the hotshot, um, trying to be impressive ourselves. No, we, it's a fresh humility, a fresh sense of, no, I just need you. So that sets the scene for what's going to unfold. And you can guess you know, as soon as Jairus, with his kind of entourage, approached Jesus, the crowd probably would have stepped back. They know who he is. Come, come through, Jairus. Yeah, come straight through to Jesus. And he bows down to the crowd, are hearing everything that he said. The crowd are like, we want to see this. We've, we know who Jesus is. That's, that's why we've gathered, or we, we, we know what he can do, at least. So the crowd press around Jesus and they're following Jairus, who is taking Jesus back to his house. The whole crowd. Who knows how many there were. Have you ever been in an uncomfortably crowded place? My worst experience um, was on, in a train station in the, kind of the, the big concourse. And there's the big kind of board up with all the departures and all the trains that are about to go out. What, what platform to go to? It's a big station. Um, much bigger than Sheffield. And the problem was a train had broken down 
in such a place just outside the station that no train could get in or out. So the fact that there are like 20 platforms is neither here nor there. No trains are moving for a long time. And so there are thousands of people, I think, with no personal space, just waiting for good news. Please, let the trains start moving. Um, And then they did. So things start to go up on the board. And that's, that's great. But the problem is then people are starting to move. And it's like the crowd in certain places just turns to liquid. It just flows. It's, you can't control it. If you're too close to it, you're just in the crowd that's now moving. They're taking you. And maybe there are certain parts where it is still stationary. But if the crowd is going that way and you want to go that way, you can't. You're going that way whether you like it or not. Uh, and eventually manage to kind of like get your way through. It's, everybody has lost that sense of personal space, for the Brits anyway. Everyone has lost, lost that sense of being polite. You're just in my way, and I'm going to let you know about it. So there we all were, a few thousand people like this, suddenly trying to get on their train. That sense of the crowd pressing Jesus was perhaps what's going on here. Jairus is leading him. The crowd are really eager. They all know where Jairus lives, so they're all going this direction. It's going to be very difficult anyway uh, to go in a different direction, but obviously, for now anyway, that's not a problem because Jesus wants to go. Um, He knows what he's got planned for this desperate man's little girl. So there we go. The first desperate person, then we meet somebody else. Desperate and destitute woman. She is suffering physically. We find out in verse uh, 25 and 26. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She's in a desperate situation. She's been ill for a long time hemorrhaging blood, it's getting worse, she's paid however many doctors, all she has, it's not worked, the problem's got worse, and the nature of this problem, a bit like leprosy, um, or a bit like skin disease back in this culture at this time, uh, and for people who were Jewish and regarded the Old Testament, um, she was unclean. She's not allowed to mix in society She's not allowed to take part in in religious feasts and festivals and activities. She is untouchable, really. So she's suffering physically, but she's suffering socially as well. Um, Not really a, a part of the community. And so she comes to Jesus, but unlike Jairus, who's really public, she comes in a secretive way. The crowd is actually what gives her the opportunity to get close to Jesus. So when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. She's suffering, but she's secretive. Maybe she's a bit superstitious as well. Uh, Some people think there may have been a, a common belief at the time that actually a person's clothes kind of contained their power. Um, So it could have been quite a superstitious 
way of approaching Jesus. If I just touch his clothes. Now we see in the New Testament later on and in the book of Acts, crazy things happen and you know someone's shadow heals somebody or touch this handkerchief and they'll get healed. There's loads of weird stuff. Um, amazing, I mean. Um, but here, there's not necessarily a precedent for that yet. She's not doing that because she's heard it's the right thing to do. She's doing it because she's desperate, a bit secretive, a bit superstitious, but she needs God. So she is different from Jairus in every way. Jairus, the man. Jairus, the powerful. Jairus, the well-known and influential. Jairus, the confident. Jairus, the guy who can walk through a crowd and they'll separate for him and he can approach Jesus. Jairus, who's very public and respectful. He knows the rules of engagement. He knows what to do. He knows how to behave. He does everything right in his desperation. In her desperation, she does maybe most things wrong. And she's a woman. And she's un- in, because of her situation, her condition, she's unclean. She's not powerful. She's not influential. We don't know her name. She would not be missed if she weren't there. She's a bit superstitious. Maybe it's magic. It's his clothes that do it. I know. I'll just grab his clothes and that way I'll be healed. You think, well, what's going to happen to her then? Well, the surprise, well, maybe not the surprise, but bang, she gets healed. And Jesus doesn't even know it. Well, he does because he feels power go out from him. Um, but he doesn't know who it was. He doesn't actually know what's happened. It's like, this is bizarre. This must be the most convenient miracle ever. Because Jesus is a busy man. There's a big crowd. And they all want him to go to Jairus' house to heal Jairus' girl. And uh, this, you know, so she gets her healing. Well, brilliant, fantastic. And we don't need to know any more about it. Jesus can just keep going. Our power's gone out of me. Well, that's strange. Anyway, like my disciples are saying, the crowd is pressing around me. Who knows what's happened? Who cares? Glory to God, and I'm going to keep going um, to go meet the powerful man's family and, uh, and go and do what I feel God is doing at the moment. So this is like supernatural ministry for people in a hurry. Jesus doesn't need to stop. He doesn't have time. He's got something else on. Perfect. Western Jesus would respond like that. But the kingdom of God, Jesus, stops in verse 30. Remember what the crowd are doing. Remember how they're pushing. Remember that flow. You know, it's going to be difficult to resist. It's not a problem. It's a, faith is happening in this community. But Jesus stops. Who touched my clothes? And maybe at that point... She's not got very far away. She hoped to kind of do the little smash and grab, pickpocket a miracle. She's got it and she's off in the crowd, hoping that no one sees her. She's going the other way. The crowd are going the other way. And then Jesus stops and says, who touched my clothes? And maybe at that point she's thinking, oh no, I've been rumbled. He knows what happened. I was hoping this would just be a one-way thing. I would be aware of receiving my healing. I didn't realize that he would be aware of it happening as well. And now I've got found out. 
and I'm not significant, and I'm not powerful, and I've probably not done things the right way, how is he going to respond? Who touched me? I mean, if ever we say that, it's a kind of point of irritation, isn't it? You know, someone brushes past, how very dare you? Um, We're affronted. Someone has invaded my personal space or whatever, but I keep using that phrase, I'll move on. Um, Maybe he's angry. Well, he's not angry. He doesn't stop her to have a go. He stops her because he has something more. There's an important message that she needs to hear. Why do I say that? She's received power, but she could still be going away guilty. I shouldn't be in the crowd. I'm unclean. There's no appropriate way for me to get right. So... I'm still kind of going away under a cloud. Thank goodness something has changed inside here. But she needs something else. She needs something more. So Jesus uh, speaks to her when he finds out the full situation, when she tells the whole truth. Look, she comes trembling with fear. She doesn't want to do this. How is he going to respond? She's frightened. Maybe of the crowd's response as well as Jesus' response. So Jesus said to her in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. In that first stage, when she touched him, she received power. Now this second point, where he's coming and speaking to her, she receives peace. She needed both. She could still have gone away in guilt and in fear under a bit of a cloud. Jesus stops because he wants to make sure that whoever it was that touched me experiences more of what I have to give, not just a miracle. I mean, just. It's a pretty major miracle. But So who is more important to Jesus? What would you have done If we place ourselves in the passage and put ourselves in Jesus' shoes, how would you have responded to this awareness? Power's gone out of me. I've got an an important assignment. There's somewhere I need to be. I want to honour this guy. And in many ways, there's a lot I've got in common with him. Um, We've got a slight different take on things, but we're both quite prominent in this part of the world. People know our names. Um, we're afforded a certain amount of respect by different groups in society, perhaps. I mean, some might take offence, but we're leaders, uh, we're men, uh, we're well-known, and we've got a job to do. Um, So I could really imagine getting to know Jairus and uh, just enjoying, really building a good friendship uh, with him. I'm sure God's got a lot of plans for him as well as me. This This is a really significant moment In the kingdom of God. It's the first time this has ever happened. Look who has just responded to Jesus. We've not seen this so far. Do we prefer to help people who are more like us? Do we look forward to responding and drawing close to people? Actually, we feel we've got a lot in common. We've only just met them. But it's clear we're from the same side of the tracks as each other. We've got a similar background. We kind of speak the same language. Um, 
what do we do? Look how in this story, in this account of what happened, it's the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years who's right at the center of it. Starts with Jairus, sets the scene with the crowd. We find out about his daughter. And then the middle is what Jesus does and how Jesus responds to this lady who is poor and insignificant in the eyes of society around her. How it happened and how Mark records it helps us to see she's right in the middle. She's at the centre. Jairus has to wait because of what Jesus wants to do in her life. We might have pushed her to the edge and allowed the crowd to carry us along. And sometimes we can just allow, proverbially, the crowd, the way things are happening, the natural flow of things, to carry us in a certain direction with who we want to spend time with, who we want to reach out to, who we want to bless, who we want to pray for, who we want to get to know a bit better. Well, it's just a bit easier to do that with Jairus, but not with this lady. Oh, well, thank goodness she's had a really convenient miracle then. I wish her all the well. All the well? You know what I mean. Anyway, um, so we've met her, now we meet, ah, bad news. Right at the moment when Jesus is speaking to the lady who'd been healed by touching his clothes, news comes from Jairus' house. She's gone. Don't bother Jesus now. Jesus can hear this interaction. Jairus is not far away from Jesus at this point, no doubt. Don't bother Jesus. But that's not what Jesus is thinking. He's not against this man. He's very much for him. His status in society is not what determines his interest. Through Mark's Gospel, the simple explanation that is given for his healing activity is Jesus has authority to do it and Jesus has compassion to do it. That's what it's all about. It's not about how important or influential the person is. So he's responding to someone whose daughter's sick. And so he goes with him. This news comes and Jesus, see how he cares for this grieving family. See how he cares for this man, his wife and their daughter. See the the crowd, just like, well, the friends, forget about it. The worst has happened. There's no hope now. Jesus says, well, it says somewhere, ignoring What they were saying, Jesus said, um, don't be afraid, just believe. Look what you've just seen happen in this woman's life. You had faith when you approached me. You've seen what's happened with this lady who was suffering for 12 years. Don't be afraid, I'm coming with you. And see how he takes care of this family and he kind of arrives and he kind of gets rid of the noisy crowd. In our society or in this nation, grief can be something where we go to like the opposite extreme and if if someone's grieving, we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, so we think, oh, it's just a private thing, just leave them to it. Well, that's probably unhelpful. Uh, In this context, maybe the opposite extreme is happening. 
which is also unhelpful. That the thing to do when someone dies in your neighborhood is go around and make a loud show of your grief to support them. Um, he's an influential guy. Loads of people would have gathered to, to kind of share this moment of sorrow and mourning. So they're not necessarily all big renter crowd, but they're all making a big noise. And then when Jesus says, oh, she's just asleep, they laugh. Well, people who are really wailing with grief will not just suddenly laugh. They're doing the culturally normal thing in that place. Jesus says, right, this is not going to be conducive to faith. Out. Get the crowd out. So see how Jesus cares for the grieving family. See how he, um, he gathers just mum and dad and a couple of disciples and they go in uh, to the room. See how Jesus takes the little girl by the hand. He's not worried about becoming unclean. He's not worried about what she can do to him uh, religiously or socially. He's aware of what he's going to do for her. Takes her by the hand, speaks to this little girl in her language. Now Jesus was multilingual. Um, so he speaks Aramaic, Talitha kum, Abba. He would have also spoken Greek um, and Hebrew too, probably. Um, he speaks her language. He speaks the language of the house rather than the language of the, the synagogue to address her. And then even in the midst of the, the wonder of the moment, she's healed. She's back to life. He makes sure she has something to eat. She's probably not eaten for a long time. She's been sick and then she's died. She needs something to eat. Look at his tenderness. Look at his compassion. It's not like, I care for the oppressed, but I, I don't care for Jairus. You know, I'm against the man. It's like, no, he's compassionate for everyone. So let's just bring it to a conclusion. For a while now, in Mark's gospel, the question has been ringing, who is he? The disciples in Mark chapter 4 and verse 41, they've just seen Jesus uh, calm the wind and the waves. And they say, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That question is still ringing out. It doesn't get a full, complete, explicit answer, but we're supposed to notice what's happened. Who is he? Even the wind and the waves obey him. He's the Lord of nature. Who is he? Even the demons flee. He's the Lord of a spiritual realm and all spiritual beings. Who is he that even 12 years of bleeding, healed in a moment, healed in a moment, healed in a moment, <laughs> she knows instantly that she has received healing and she's been restored by touching his clothes, and he didn't even know who she was. He's the Lord. Well, we then see a, a girl who's died. We've not seen this so far in Mark's Gospel. There's a little girl, and she's passed away. The, the, the way that the crowd respond and the people gather, they know she's dead. She's not asleep. They're trying to work out what he means. Don't be daft. She's dead. She's gone. And what we're seeing is Jesus is Lord 
of everything. He's a Lord of life. And that's what he's bringing into this situation. Is anything impossible for Jesus? No. But remember, what is the most exciting thing? What's the most amazing thing in this passage? Maybe that's a slightly mischievous question. Because it's all pretty tremendous. If we got to spend a little bit of time with a guy who'd been released from Legion, we'd be like, wow, Jesus is amazing. If we spent a little bit of time with this lady telling her story of the past 12 years and all the suffering that she experienced, all the problems that brought, and then the sudden breakthrough that came when she touched Jesus, you think, wow, wow. And if we spent time around Jairus' house, although he wasn't supposed to tell us, um, and found out what had happened, the order of events, how, again, it got even worse for them because she did actually die, and then she's raised to life. I think, well, it's, it's all pretty amazing. Perhaps the most amazing thing is that Jesus stopped to find out who had touched him. I think that's amazing. I think we can take a lot of encouragement from this passage in pressing through and believing for miracles of a whole variety, including healing. We've got a God for whom nothing is impossible. But I really want us to see the point here. The kingdom of God is not just about the special people. The kingdom of God is not just about Jairus with his influence and his power and his good behaviour. Sometimes people come to Jesus just as they are and break all the rules and Jesus says, wonderful, you came. Sometimes it's us who get hung up on the right procedure and the right theology when Jesus is just getting busy blessing someone who's come to him with faith. So who is he? He's the Lord of all. He's a Lord of glory. He's the God of compassion and the Father of comfort. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. He is good news for everyone. He's good news for the oppressed and he's good news for the oppressor. He's good news for the rich and he's good news for the poor. He's good news for the people at the top and he's good news for people right at the bottom. He's wonderful, isn't he? Who are we? That's who he is. Who are we? We're all really different. Men, women, young, old. Some of us just get by. Some of us, at the drop of a hat, can buy whatever we like. Some of us got loads and loads of A-stars. Some of us aren't sure what a GCSE is like. Some of us had a Christian upbringing, and within our culture, we learned early how to behave. Some of us didn't have that, and didn't learn those lessons, and kind of get a bit irritated with the norms anyway of what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to say and how we're supposed to be. It's all just a bit irritating. Why can't we just be ourselves? We see two very different people here. But what they have alike 
is a faith to approach Jesus. It's not perfect faith, but they have faith in Jesus. Why don't you just turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 3, and verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's just a wonderful, brief description of the good news in Jesus. Now, of course, we're men and women, old and young, different backgrounds and all the rest of it. But we all come in the same way to a God of wonderful, wonderful grace. Maybe for you, you might be thinking, well, actually, people probably envy me. They probably envy my lifestyle my postcode, my pay packet, my grades, my friendships. But if they only knew what was really going on, or actually, it doesn't really count for anything. I, I came to the point where I knew I needed help. None of that was going to help me. The only thing that was going to help me was faith in Jesus. And maybe some might be thinking, well, actually, people think I'm no good. I sometimes feel that perhaps I'm just an inconvenience to others. I'm not really supposed to be here. This is not a natural environment for me. I don't fit with the norms of this city, let alone the church. But, do you know what? I believe in Jesus. I believe he can help me. And I believe that's all that matters. Now maybe for some, actually you have experienced his power and his help in reaching out to him, but then stayed secretive. And you've just tried to get away. Without actually turning around, coming back to Jesus and nailing your colours on the mast for everyone to see, he's my saviour. He's my God. I'm giving my, I've given my life to him. He's done something amazing in my life. I think that's why we've got baptism. Because something that starts very personal, maybe very private, my response to him becomes gloriously public and we all celebrate. Someone else is in Christ. Someone else has been buried and come up a new creation. Hallelujah. So let's be excited by miracles. Let's be in faith for God doing remarkable things in our midst uh, when we meet and in this city. But let's be excited by what God's kingdom is like. As a church, as a people, we want that to shape us. We want what we see here about how Jesus responds to that woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. We want that. We want the character of this king and the character of this kingdom to so get a hold of us, we see people 
not status. And we join and partnership with Jesus in demonstrating his love to others, not settling for anything less. Having a true kingdom culture. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's worship God.